You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And good morning and welcome. My name is Doug Dahlgren and this is your prologue. George Weinstein is here this hour and if you don't know about this great writer and tireless advocate for other authors, I want you to stick around. You're going to be glad that you did. Now, George has brought with him this morning his latest novel, Aftermath. George is with us. George, welcome again to the prologue. Oh, thank you for having me on again, Doug. Well, I'm, I'm glad I said welcome back, because actually this is your second appearance on the show. You were here back, what was it, last summer, early fall. You were here to talk about that uh, writer's conference you were conducting. That's right. And we're doing that. You seem again. to enjoy. Yeah. Oh, you're doing that again this year? Yes, sir. Okay. All right, we'll get we'll get organized here in a minute. Uh, you seem to enjoy working with other folks and helping other people. Am I right in that assumption? Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, you know, as, as much as I identify myself as a writer, I, I really think my calling is helping other writers because I've made just about every mistake one can make in this uh, this crazy industry. So. Uh, I really like to help uh, people avoid those mistakes. Well, it's a great calling, and uh, you know when you when you feel like you've helped somebody, that's better than almost better than getting a good review. So, uh, I, I don't know. Uh, I know Barbara Barth. I know several other people that work so hard at doing this sort of thing. You're certainly in that category, and uh, I admire you guys. You do a great job. Um, we want to get deeper into that, but you're here today. We want to talk mainly about your new southern mystery novel, Aftermath. Uh, so let's talk about that a while. Is that all right with you? Yep, sounds great. Thank you. Uh, okay. Now, the protagonist in this story is a young lady named Janet Wright. She's a 40-something woman who moves back to a small town in Georgia after the death of her father. Now, you wrote this book in first person, which is done all the time, but it's from the perspective of that main character who happens to be a woman. Now, last time I met you, you were a guy. Uh, I'm sure you thought a great deal about this. Was it more or less challenging for you, from the male perspective, to write first-person female? Oh, it's uh, it, it's quite a challenge, uh, but it, it's really the, the reason that I write is to constantly stretch myself and see if I can, you know, pull off a different different point of view, a different perspective. So, you know, Janet's, Janet's a 40-year-old uh, woman, uh, grew up uh, mostly in uh, New York City, um, born in, in this tiny southern town, and, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a 50-year-old guy from, uh, from the Mid-Atlantic region, and... Uh, just entirely different than she is, but uh, you know the the great thing about writing fiction is, you know, you you might be able to pull off inhabiting somebody who's entirely different from yourself, and uh, and that's that's what uh, gets me over to the, the laptop every morning uh, to to bang out another chapter is to see if I can pull it off yet again. The Mars and Venus thing comes to mind. You know, we are different. We, it's like we're from different planets. And the way we look and the way we perceive things going on around us, uh, was that ever present in your mind while you were trying to write out uh, 
especially in first person. Oh, all, uh, all the time, all the time. I, I'm okay. forever thinking, well, is is this how you know this this character would perceive a situation? Is this how she would think? Are these the kind of words she would use? And uh, the kind of responses I'm getting back from readers is that uh, you know I I pulled it off, but uh, you know I think for a writer it it helps being a great listener and. I've been married for 25 years, and uh, I think my wife will tell you that uh, among my, my few positive attributes is uh, the ability to listen well. So, uh, yeah, I really think that that serves me well. I, uh, there, there's something about uh, taking on a, a different point of view that, that I think uh, is you know, it's the, whole, the whole reason why I write it. That's the challenge in it. Yep, absolutely. Excellent. Let's get back to the storyline here. I don't know how much you want to go into, but we want to we want to tempt the folks. We want to get them interested in this book, get them to order it. Janet's return to Grayley, Georgia, is motivated by several facets. Uh, what is it that you'd like to uh, to add to the backstory without perhaps giving too much away? Oh, sure. It, uh the, the, the thing that, that drives her there uh, initially uh, is that uh, she's just she's getting over a, a terrible breakup with her fiance. Uh, ended the engagement ended very badly, and she's looking to to reinvent herself in a in a different part of the country because uh, New York City has just become toxic toxic to her. She's had. A number of bad relationship experiences, and this is just the last straw. And she learns that uh, uh, she is the sole inheritor of her father's estate, and uh, now she's got some money and uh, has, uh, you know, an opportunity to to do the reinvention that, that she wants to do. Now her. Uh, father happens to be deceased because he was murdered. So that becomes the primary driver after she arrives in Grayley. Uh, the the whole reinvention thing kind of gets pushed off to the side because she gets intrigued by her father's murder. Uh, all of the facts are known: the who, what, when, where, how. That's that's all clearly established. Uh, the killer was shot on site by the, the chief of police. They know who did it and all. They just, nobody knows why. And uh, she cannot let that rest. So she starts picking at the, the threads of his, uh, his murder and the investigation. And, of course, that gets her into a world of trouble and actually sets her up to uh, become uh, a potential victim of, a, of another murder. So, yeah. That's you say picking at the threads, it's almost like picking at the scab. This thing was healing. People yeah. were, were done with it. And uh, and she comes along and it just opens the wound and she finds herself in the middle of that. So. Yep, absolutely. Yep, and, and uh, you know, discovers just a, a whole spider web full of uh, scandals and lies and deceptions and uh, secrets. And, uh, and she just kind of wades into the middle of it, not knowing what she's doing, just uh, compelled to, to learn the, the answer to that big question, why? And everybody Character development. Back off. 
Well, and there's a cast of characters doing that. And that that's the thing about your writing, George. Uh, character development is just so important. And folks out there that that are aware of what we're talking about know, I mean, if you if you can relate to the characters and you can understand them, it's, it's kind of a, a sixth sense in a way. It just takes over the book for you and it keeps you turning pages. And you've got many characters, not just Janet, but you've got the police chief, of course, who dispatched the murderer. He's there. You've also got another author in town and somebody who writes in the genre of Stephen King. That's, that's an interesting scenario. Uh, tell us about these guys. How did they come to mind? Uh, well, of course, you know, uh, you you create characters to to serve the plot to some degree, but within that, you've you've got a lot of latitude about you know how you're gonna the attitude you're gonna give them and uh, you know the way they talk and you know the, what they're thinking about. Uh, it's all the whole story is told from Janet's point of view, but you know uh, if you if you can, as a writer, you want everybody to be a come off as a living, breathing person who have lives of their own when they're not in the scene with your your main character. So uh, that's that's really where the fun is in uh, in developing characters is uh, imagining their their inner worlds and you know their lives that that don't even appear on the page. Uh, that's that's really for your own enjoyment as a as an author. But I think that seeps into your writing, and and that's what grabs a reader. Uh, before I talk about the, the individual characters, I'll just say that what readers are interested in is the plot, the characters, and the writing style. And uh, I've done dozens and dozens of book club talks over the years, and those are the three things that get brought up over and over and over again that that readers care about uh so you know one of those uh, three legs in that three-legged stool is character development and so that's that's where i spend a lot of time and pay a lot of attention and so among the individual characters uh you've mentioned the the chief of police he's he's really haunted by uh, the murder scene that he he came upon and uh and having to dispatch uh the the killer at the scene of the crime, and uh, that's, that's kind of scarred him. Um, and you know, why is a is a big question for him too, and not a question that he's able to answer. And uh, uh, Janet has some uh, some allies in the story. Uh, some are constant allies. There's a young paralegal named Tim who is the holder of some of the secrets in the town and uh, is very reluctant to reveal them, uh, almost challenging Janet to, to find them for herself because uh, these things are, are just too painful for him to reveal. Uh, there's also the fiancé of the killer, a woman named Tara, who's a, a young millennial, and uh, she's got her own agenda. Sometimes she's an ally, and sometimes she's the enemy of Janet, and uh, she seems to turn on a dime uh, periodically, and uh, because she's she's got her own agenda in mind, and uh, I, that definitely keeps Janet off balance. You've mentioned uh, a writer in town, uh, David Stark. He uh, he actually tries to mentor Janet a little bit because Janet's got it in the back of her head that. Uh, she would like to write her her mother's story, 
bit about that. Her mother uh, took Janet and Janet's older brother and fled Grayley when Janet was five because uh, she was in a very destructive marriage, her mother was. And Janet's always had it in the back of her mind to write her mother's story and, you know, come come to terms with uh, really never having uh, known her father, you know, uh, since she left at age five. Uh, uh, over the years, she forgot all about dear old dad, and, uh, and then she starts learning secrets about dear old dad, and that uh, uh, that compels her even more to want to write uh, their story. Characters make it, you, like you said, characters are developed to serve the plot line, but are any of these people based on folks that you've known? Oh, heavens no. No. Um, you know, I, I, I think after the first couple of books I've written, I've kind of gotten that out of my system, and now it's... Uh, <laughs> Used everybody invention. up. Yeah, it's just okay. pure invention. Um, and okay. And that's the fun for me. Folks, we're here this morning. We've got George Weinstein on board. We've been talking about his book, Aftermath, and we're going to be back with more from George after these messages. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren, on Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. This is Dr. George. Join me Wednesday mornings at 9 o'clock for Medicine on Call. On Medicine on Call, we talk about more than medicine. It's about how to take control of your mind, body, and spirit. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. 45 years of experience is behind the most trusted name in auto transportation. Passport Transport, the first and finest today. That's why Passport Transport is the preferred auto transport for major auto manufacturers, concours, museums, tours, and collectors, and should be your choice from across the state to across the country. When you have the need, go to PassportTransport.com and enjoy the peace of mind referenced experience will give you. Passport Transport. This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And welcome back. My name is Doug Dahlgren. You're here listening to the prologue. Our guest today is George Weinstein. Uh, George, we were telling the folks a little bit about uh, your characters and the plot line for Aftermath. How about we tell them where they can find out more about this book and all of your other books and more information about George Weinstein. Tell them where they can reach you. Yeah, my website's the best place to go, and uh, that's georgeweinstein.com. I'll spell that G-E-O-R-G-E-W-E-I-N-S-T-E-I-N-E-I-E-I, just like old McDonald, georgeweinstein.com. And you're on uh, the regular online sites as well, I assume? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm, uh, they can friend me on Facebook. Uh, I'm also on Twitter. and uh, Okay. 
All right. And the books are available through Amazon and Barnes & Noble and all that kind of good stuff. Yeah, a- absolutely. And uh, autograph copies are available uh, through my publisher, and, uh, and I make periodic public appearances. Yes, you do. And you, you enjoy speaking and talking to folks, and we want to get into that in just a little bit here. I want to talk to you a little more about your characters. Uh, like we said, uh, you, you completely deny that these are people that you've known. And, of course, you know, Craig Johnson told me already that that's the biggest lie that authors tell, is that all the characters come from people they know. <laughs> so, at any rate, uh, your characters all speak with different viewpoints. <clears throat> and all of your books offer, because of the fact that you're somewhat of an eclectic writer, you don't stick with a particular genre. You're all over the place. So you've got many varying viewpoints that you write about, and you do it well. Anything from a southern boy in Hard Scrabble Road to Janet, that 40-ish young woman returning home from New York in Aftermath. What is it that appeals to you about expressing these varying perspectives so much? I, you know, I think uh, the writer has to really be writing for for himself first, first and foremost, because uh, you're you're never assured that anybody's ever going to read your work. So you got to make yourself happy first uh, as a writer, and that's what makes me happy. Honestly, is uh, is taking on the the challenge of. Uh, different perspectives uh it's like you know it's not just putting on a a different suit of clothes it's putting on a whole different skin and walking around in it and you know seeing how the world reacts to you when you're in that skin and and then reacting to the world in kind well let's take a look at the challenges that you've uh, addressed in the five novels that you have to date you've touched on Five different genres, actually. You've got a children's motivational adventure story. You've got a multicultural historical novel. You've got a pure historical fiction novel that has really gotten a lot of praise. And you've thrown in a romance novel on top of the new mystery. Uh, Is is there any reason that you can point to that made changing genres such a must for you? (laughs) You know, I think I have a really short attention span. I am. I'm not satisfied doing the the same thing twice. I was doing a book club talk the other night, and some readers assured me that they like that. But then I got home, and there was somebody who was already begging me for a sequel to to Aftermath. So she wants exactly the same thing over and over. And then I got got other fans of my work who like it that I that I mix it up. So. You know, different strokes for different folks. Unfortunately, the uh, the people who want to see the same kind of thing over and over again for me, recurring characters with uh, just uh, the the mystery changed, but uh, the the same people experiencing it time and again, I think they're going to be disappointed because I'm I'm working on a thriller now that's uh, uh, different from the other five novels that uh, are. I've written and are in print, and I've got manuscripts and boxes that still haven't seen the light of day. Uh, one of those is a science fiction novel. So, uh, you know, the, the the only thing that remains the same for me is the uh, the desire for change, um, and it, and it just it's another thing that keeps me interested and keeps me engaged. Because as you know, this is a long, long process uh, to to go from the concept of a of a book and a 
just a sketch on the back of a napkin, you know, to a, a finished work that you're you're flogging and uh, you know trying to sell copies of and talking to readers about. It's a long process, and if I'm doing the same thing over and over again, even with the elements of a different mystery, for example, I'm just not going to be as engaged as taking on a whole new world. I'd, you know, I'd rather explore that that whole new world each time. And so, you know, with Five Destinies of Carlos Moreno, that's forgotten U.S. history and uh, uh, largely told from the perspective of a, a young Mexican-American man uh, in the late 1920s, early 1930s in Texas. Uh, the Caretaker is about a ballerina who's in her late 20s who's uh, lost her leg in a car accident and has to reinvent herself overnight. And at the same time, she's rewriting the rules of her marriage with uh, her uh, new husband. And, you know, so, gosh, you know, you couldn't get two more different worlds than, you know, than a modern-day, you know, ballerina who's now... Uh, you know, dealing with a prosthetic limb and, uh, and a husband who's not coping well with her accident. Uh, you know, and then young Carlos uh, trying to uh, avoid uh, uh, Texas Rangers in uh, the late 1920s and early 1930s. Uh, you know, that's, a, and, that's something I want to mention while you're talking about all this, is that you do not do variations of a theme. There are a lot of writers who have different titles and different storylines, but it's really the same thing. Uh, we mentioned Stephen King earlier. He's been accused of that, you know, being formulatic. Uh, you really come from, from far afield with your different stories and plot lines. How do, how do those inspirations come to you? Well, sometimes it's uh, uh, stumbling across uh, something from real life. Uh, the Five Destinies of Carlos Moreno was inspired by a footnote I came upon uh, while reading a book of uh, history about the, the state of Texas. I've always been fascinated by Texas because it's like its own country. It's, uh, you know, it's no accident that they call themselves the Lone Star State because it's as if they're, they're an island unto themselves. And uh, for good, good and, uh, and for ill and... Uh, so I came across this footnote that said between 1928 and 1941, uh, the uh, U.S. government deported over 2 million people of Mexican heritage, and half of them were actually Mexican-American citizens. Uh, so that's, that's a million American citizens who were deported, and I had never heard that anywhere else. And wasn't taught that in school, never been a movie about it, never, never read a book about it, never seen anything on TV about it. So I had to dig in there and find a few scholarly works that had been written about this uh, repatriation. And uh, and that inspired uh, The Five Destinies of Carlos Moreno, uh, basically exploring hidden U.S. history or forgotten U.S. history. Uh, with Very the caretaker, good. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, aftermath, though, is kind of you take a, a, a fairly basic situation, uh, a murder in a small town, and people in that small town acting kind of weird about it. That That's a great mystery, but that's been done. You've taken those basic elements, and you've turned them into a unique story. 
Uh, I think it's how do you do that? Characters. I think it's the characters who do that for you. Um, so okay. If there are any writers who are listening, you know, uh, any plot can be made fresh and new by having interesting characters who are coming at the maybe familiar situations, but with their own worldviews, their own perspectives, and uh, and and the characters of the. Uh, the things that put the twist uh, into a plot and and make it interesting for the reader. So it can be the same thing they've seen a dozen times, but if the characters are different to them and engaging to them, uh, then that makes all the difference. Then it seems new. Um, Absolutely. You know, there's there's that old saw about there are only two plots in the world, uh, and and those two plots are uh, a person goes on a journey and a stranger comes to town. And those are it. Those are the two plots. I think it's the same plot just told from two points of view. <laughs> you know, it's the, the point of view of the person who's gone on the journey or the person uh, uh, who is in town who is witnessing the stranger coming in. Uh, really, it's the same story. Uh, so if, if, if we're down to... to one or at most two stories, you know, how do you keep it fresh? You keep it fresh by making those townsfolk as interesting as possible and making that stranger or the person going on the journey as interesting as possible. And and that's that's what grabs readers. Uh, uh, we writers get so wrapped up in, you know, oh, should this be an M-dash or a semicolon or two independent sentences or just a compound sentence with a comma and you know we can just go round and round with all of that stuff and readers blow past that piece of punctuation at 90 miles an hour if you've grabbed them and uh, and they're reading to find out what happens next uh, so quite often we writers forget what's most important to readers and again as I said before that's character plot and then language there you go. Now, you've included many twists and turns in the storyline for Aftermath. We don't want to give that away. But you've got a really unique and unusual offer at the end of the book. I hope you're following me. You want to tell the folks what that is? Oh, absolutely. Uh, and this is a, uh, an incentive to readers who, who like the book uh, to uh, get more of the story. And I said, you know, I uh, don't write sequels uh, as a habit, but uh, if people are willing to post reviews of the book on Amazon, Goodreads, and the like, um, I will be more than happy if they tell me about it. Uh, I'll be more than happy to send them uh, an epilogue uh, that I've written with a further adventure for Janet to solve. So, spoiler alert, she survives and solves the mystery <laughs> aftermath. Um, and uh, in the uh, epilogue, which I call After Aftermath, uh, she's got a brand new mystery to solve. So it's a it's a nice twenty page story with uh, some characters who uh, recur um, from uh, from the novel, and I won't tell you who those are because that would be a little bit of a spoiler. About a uh, little bit too much. Who's yeah. involved and who survives and who doesn't. Uh, and uh, and I, I also I had so much fun writing that epilogue that I wrote a little prologue called uh, Before Aftermath, 
and uh, <laughs> and that's uh, Janet at age five. So in that one, I tell it uh, third person point of view, still within her head, but not as if she's telling it because I didn't want to get into well, what would the language of a five year old be? Um, True. So I I avoided that by just using third person, but that just that talks about the the day her mama fled town with her and her older brother. Uh, so those are two little gifts for, for readers if they're willing to post reviews. Because as you Excellent. know, that's Very the good. hardest part uh, as a writer is getting, getting people who tell you, you love, they love your book to actually post a review of it. Getting that feedback. Folks, we're here again. We've got George Weinstein on the line. We're talking about his book, Aftermath, and we're going to be back with a lot more from George after these messages. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. This is Skip Coriel, host of the Home Defense Show on America's Web Radio. Join me every week for a full hour of all the best and latest information on how you can get the skills and equipment you need to protect the ones that you love. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren. On Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. It's that time of year again. If you suffer from itchy eyes, sneezing, a constant runny nose, sinus headaches, or an increase in asthma symptoms, and you're tired of using allergy medicine, maybe it's time to stop putting a Band-Aid on the problem. Peachtree ENT Center believes in treating the problem instead of masking the symptom. We are pleased to offer an innovative alternative that can free you from this routine. Sublingual immunotherapy is a safe, easy, and effective way to treat allergies to food and environmental allergens for you and your family. Imagine placing drops under your tongue to treat allergies. No shots, no office visits with time off from work, and freedom from needing daily allergy medication. Just think, next year, you can actually enjoy being outdoors. About an hour of your time is all it takes to change the quality of your life. Remember, Peachtree ENT Center is where patient care counts. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And we are back. We're here this morning on the prologue with George Weinstein. And George, if you'll let me, I want to take just a second uh, to recognize some very important listeners that we're very proud that we have here on the prologue. The first group is our uniformed service men and women stationed around the world. The job that they do is tremendous. They're out there working hard to keep us safe every day. Uh, freedom's not free, and they show it, they know it, they pay for it for us, and we thank each and every one of them for what they do. Uh, and we're happy that they're listeners around the world. This is Internet radio, folks. We're everywhere. So we're glad to have them out there as listeners. The other group that's here, uh, closer to home, would be those first responders, our police, the fire rescue personnel, including the 911 operators, the people that rush to our aid when we need their help. So don't forget these folks. Uh, might be some controversies out there today, but, folks, these people are there doing a the job we asked them to do. Don't forget about them. Thank them when you see them and help them when they need it. Uh, we appreciate them. Appreciate them being here as listeners. Now, George, we we've talked a good deal 
about you jumping around with your genres. You said that you're coming into my territory. You're getting into my neighborhood now. You're writing a thriller, and welcome to that neighborhood. Uh, it's fun, and uh, maybe I need to push my books a little bit harder before you get out on the market with them, because you might take all the thunder out of the room. But uh, is is there anything about the experience you've had with the mystery genre and also with this thriller that might change your attitude about jumping around so much? It was it was the uh, the thrill for me of writing Aftermath was having that built-in narrative drive, if I can sound you know, a little pretentious and literary for a, for a moment, uh, where because you've got something, somebody who's trying to solve a mystery with perhaps life and death consequences, if she fails, the, the plot just drives itself and, uh, you know, she's kind of thrown pell-mell into, uh, into this, and it kept me writing pages probably at a quicker clip than I had previously, and what I hear from readers is it's got them reading my, my work faster than they, they've read previous books. Uh, so, you know, a couple of the people who gave me testimonials, what we call blurbs on uh, the book, Terry Kay and others, called it a page-turner. And previously, I had not written page-turners. I had written more, well, slower, more literary things where I was really paying attention to, to word choice and, uh, you know, just you know, structuring beautiful sentences, uh, maybe that would stop people and they would say, oh, I like that so much, I'm going to reread that sentence. Uh, I hear about that with Hardscrabble Road all the time. And, oh, I just had to go back and you know, reread that paragraph. Well, that is great, but if you're writing a mystery, <laughs> it's, really, it's really bad for people to stop and go back. Uh, because they're so captivated by the beauty of your sentences that uh, they're not compelled to move forward. And uh, so the experience of writing something where you've got this engine that's that's built into um, the plot and is pushing the characters uh, really was intoxicating and, uh, and, and made me want to write something that's not identical to... Uh, to a mystery like Aftermath. It's more thriller with some mysterious elements. Why is this person doing what he's doing? Uh, but but having that built-in engine uh, is really, really captivating and, uh, and frankly, it's, it's uh, kind of addictive. Uh, so uh, thinking about future future novels, i uh, I got to find a way to always build in this thing that really forces readers to keep keep turning the pages um, because boy that was fun that was fun to write and I'm having fun writing my new ones it's fun to get those kind of reviews and comments you know you mentioned the prose level of Hard Scrabble Road and it did get quite a bit of critical acclaim in fact there was one reviewer that wrote uh, I'm paraphrasing a little bit here but she said it was a difficult book to read not because it was not well written but because it was and I think that goes back to what you had just explained that that you were concentrating on using you know the prose in the proper way and, and building and constructing beautiful sentences 
But when you go to the mystery genre and you speed things up a little bit, my question to you, are you changing your voice? Is it still George Weinstein? Oh, it's, it's still me, but the voice changes from book to book. And the voice also has to serve, serve the story and, uh, and the kind of characters you're writing about. Um, I, I, I'm constantly pushing myself to, um, to make sure that the language I use um, even the length of sentences and all echo the kind of story I'm writing. Uh, so, you know, writing about these, these poor kids in South Georgia as almost a, a reminiscence because obviously this seven-year-old boy is not writing, you know, composing this story. He's, he's looking back uh, as, a, as an adult. Uh, he's looking back at um, when you're in that kind of setup, you can take your time and uh, you know and compose beautiful metaphors and you know images that you know grab a reader and uh, you know, really uh, get them to sit with it a while um, and uh, and turn it over in their head. You're writing a uh, a mystery where there's a ticking clock, and uh, you know I've got a, a heroine who's who's trying to trying to get answers, but then also bringing more and more uh, undue attention on herself um, that might have a life and death consequence for her. Uh, I want uh, language that is not clunky. I you know I don't want to bump readers out of the story by having. Uh, four sentences and, you know, uh, words that, uh, language that doesn't make sense or, you know, language that just seems, uh, hackneyed or, uh, or stale. But at the same time, I don't want so many beautiful metaphors and similes and, and so much captivating Im- imagery that people get lost in the, in the words and forget about why they're reading the story and they're reading the story to find out why just at, you know, at the same time as uh, my heroine is. And, uh, and what I've learned from mystery readers is that they're always trying to get ahead of the protagonist. You know, they want to solve the, the mystery before, before the, uh, your hero does or your heroine in my case. And, uh, you know, so that's, that's part of the challenge is, you know, how, how can I not cheat? I, you know, I can't lead them in one direction, and, uh, and it's because I've uh, pulled the, you know, the rug out from under them. Uh, <laughs> but at the same time, uh, you know, how can I give them not quite enough obvious things that they solve the mystery way ahead of my character and then are yawning by the time she finally crosses the finish line where they've been waiting for a while. It's that Hitchcock touch. He did it in film where you let the reader or the viewer, as it were, be just a hair ahead of what's happening and thinking they've got it figured out. And then that shock value comes in when it when it plays itself out. You, you've uh, 
you've done well with this. You you figured this out. You've had a long time to think and and, and create your craft. Um, you've been writing for quite a while. You said earlier you're right at the fifty year mark. You started writing when you were six years old, isn't that right? That that's right. You know, when I was six, I was writing plays for my stuffed animals to act out to entertain my brother and sister. It's, just really how my my brain is wired, and I always wanted to be a a full time uh, writer and uh, put those writing dreams away uh, as a teenager because uh, I got uh, got my ego crushed by a rejection letter, and uh, I did not have that tough skin yet. Uh, but then I I dusted off my uh, my writing chops and really learned how to write all over again when I was. 25 uh, by writing love letters to woo the uh, the woman I wanted to be my wife and uh, just celebrated 25 years of, of wedded bliss with her so I guess those love letters worked and uh, I guess they did now you skipped over that a little bit lightly tell, tell a little more detail about that you you uh, weren't comfortable with the traditional go tell a little more about that that was well, a good story. Um, you know it really did not have uh, an opportunity to uh, date in the uh, the way that, that most people do, which is lots of face-to-face encounters, you know, that lead to more and more uh, emotional and uh, physical intimacy. Uh, the, the woman I met and fell in love with on a blind date uh, traveled three weeks out of every four on the West Coast, and I was living in Aiken, South Carolina at the time. And she was living across the, the Savannah River in Augusta, Georgia, but she was in California and uh, in much of much of the time. And so the only way that I was going to stay in touch with her, this is way back in 1991. There are no cell phones. There's no email. Uh, really, the only way I was going to stay in touch with her, given the time zone differences, was to write to her. And so, like I said, I really learned how to write all over again, you know, writing for an audience, uh, in this case an audience of one, by, uh, by writing love letters to her. So I wrote 23 of those between July 16th, 1991 and October 3rd, 1991. And it was on October 3rd that she said yes. And hot diggity, I was engaged. And uh, we were married December 21st, 1991, so it was 25 years, just a couple of weeks ago. Did you ever finish that last letter? There was no need. <laughs> you know, <laughs> love letters are sales pitches, and uh, hey, I, uh, you know, I, I got her to uh, uh, to plunk her money down and and say, okay, I'm in. And <laughs> once you got the so, clothes, you don't want to overdo it. That's it. That's right. Well, listen, we want to tell everybody. We hope you're enjoying the program this morning. We've got George Weinstein with us. There's a couple of ways you can let us know how we're doing here on the prologue, and I'd, I'd like you to write these down, if you would. There's a couple of email addresses. There's Doug at AmericasWebRadio.com, and there's also Doug at DougDahlgren.com. I'd really like to hear from you guys. Let us know how we're doing. If you like the way the show's flowing, uh, like the guest lineup, anybody that you would suggest to be a guest. That could be yourself. could be somebody you know who writes but I'd like to hear from you. So take a minute and jot me down a little note and send it in. We'd love to hear from everybody. And we're going to be back, finish up with George Weinstein in this great conversation after these few messages. 
When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren, on Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. This is Lawyer Liz. Join me each week as we discuss drones, the Internet of Things, and all the technology in between. It's Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, Wednesdays at 2. This is Skip Coriel, host of the Home Defense Show on America's Web Radio. Join me every week as we explore all aspects of home and family defense as we strive to defend the ones we love in an ever-changing and volatile world. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. And with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And we're back with the prologue. We're talking this morning with George Weinstein. We've been talking about George's work. He brought with him his his newest novel. It's the latest that uh, he has out called Aftermath. And George, as you folks who are familiar with him know, writes all over the place. He covers every genre that there is out there to cover. Uh, George, with five novels to your credit, and you've directed many of the writers' conferences over the years that are through an organization that you're very close to. Uh, in your opinion, how has the writing business changed over the years? Uh, it's funny. It's, it's gotten easier and harder simultaneously. It's much easier for writers to get work quote-unquote, published, to, to get, out, get it out there available for sale, either in print or, or as e-books. And e-books have uh, helped writers tremendously because uh, it brings the cost down uh, to a level where readers can experiment more uh, with, a, with authors saying, well, I'll give this a try, because, you know, they're paying sometimes 99 cents, buck 99, uh, you know, at most 10 bucks for a a book that in paperback would have run them, you know, twenty dollars or more. Uh, so e-books have have uh, helped, um, but you know, thank God for Microsoft Word. It's uh, it's really enabled anybody who uh, had dreams of being a writer to um, you know to get their their work composed and put in a format that uh, uh, then they can 
uh, share it with with other people. But absolutely, side, there are so many people now because Microsoft Word is, has made it so so easy to write. You know, we're not banging away on IBM Selectrix with carbon paper anymore. Uh, because it's so easy, there's so much more competition out there than there used to be. Um, so, hey, great, you know, you're, you're writing books, uh, and maybe in the old days uh, the, the typewriter on carbon paper would have discouraged you from doing so. Well, so are 10 million other people. Uh, so they used to talk about, uh, in the writing industry, uh, X thousands of books would be coming out each year. And then that crept up to 100,000 books. Well, now they talk about a million books coming out every year. And these aren't all... These are through, uh, you know, uh, people who are self-publishing as well. And But can you imagine the, that level of competition now that, you know, that you're up against? if you're a new writer who's not known by anybody, and uh, now all of a sudden you've, uh, you've got uh, you know, a million competitors every year. So that's oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. a lot harder. And, well, people uh, can, look at the, uh, they can look at the listings of the bestsellers. You see the same names over and over. People tend to, the readers gravitate to names that they're familiar with. And uh, I'm sure you're asked a lot. People ask, what do you do to get to be a bestseller? Well, you know, go get yourself a talk show on TV and get advertise lucky. your book there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you gotta, you got to get lucky. Um, un- un- unfortunately, there's no good advice you can give to a, uh, a writer about how to uh, become rich and famous doing this. Um, we can give them the means to become a better writer and to um, seize opportunities. And so that's, um, you know, that's what I, why I've really loved my involvement in the Atlanta Writers Club. Uh, so well, let's talk about that just a second. You, you've been a member of the Atlanta Writers Club for going on how long now? Well, let's see. I, I, I joined around 2001, and uh, okay. the club has been around since 1914, so it's 103 years old this year. And uh, uh, it exists to teach writers about the craft and business of writing. And uh, it's a fabulous organization. It's got uh, over 650 members, uh, zeroing in on, on 700 now. And uh, we, we have monthly meetings. We do free workshops for our members, uh, a writing contest every year with big cash prizes, uh, that uh, really famous writers have uh, allowed us to uh, tack their names onto. So we have the Terry Kay Award for Fiction and the Rick Bragg Award for Nonfiction and then the Tr- Tasha Trethaway Award for Poetry uh, through that contest and then two conferences a year. And I've, I ran the club for a few years uh, and, uh, and now the way I continue to to give back is uh, running uh, the Atlanta Writers Conference uh, twice a year. So we've got one coming up uh, in May. I'm bringing in 12 agents, literary agents, and acquisition editors 
and uh, people hear editors and say, oh, I don't need an editor, I've, I edit my own work. Well, these are the people who actually buy <laughs> the book. Uh, and, and they're editors who work for Del Rey, uh, the sci-fi imprint from uh, Random House. I've got people coming from HarperCollins, Simon & Schuster, St. Martin's Press, big, big uh, presses, big names. And then uh, top literary agents, and it gives a writer an opportunity to sit down with an industry professional and get a manuscript sample critiqued, give them a chance to pitch their work uh, through a query letter uh, to these agents and editors, and get responses, get feedback from people who you you are just not able to get uh, yes, you can get yes or no's, but you cannot actually have a conversation and say what's working and what's not working in this in this book, unless you do a writers conference uh, where you can sit down and have a, have a conversation. And I arrange these conferences to uh, to give you private time in a in a boardroom with the door closed, and it's just you and the agent or editor. Uh, and you can actually get feedback from, from in, these top industry professionals. I can tell you what you're doing right and what you need to work on. Uh, so it's just Now, your writers, your, your conferences are your big thing. Those are twice a year, is that right? Yep, absolutely. And, and the conferences uh, bring in enough revenue that then the club uh, can do full scholarships for an English major at uh, uh, Georgia State University Perimeter campus, what used to be called Georgia Perimeter College. Um, so we're able to give uh, big scholarships to, to people who, uh, who just need a break, a uh, financial break, and uh, you know, uh, make their dreams come true of, uh, of getting a, an English degree. Internally, internally, I know you've got a newsletter, and the members of the club all know about these things. How can folks outside that might be interested, how can they find out more about your conferences, and even about joining up and becoming a member of the Atlanta Writers Club. Sure, I'll, I'll throw a couple of websites at you. The Atlanta Writers Club uh, website, which has all the information uh, about the club, uh, and people can put their names on the mailing list without even having to join. They can uh, at least get the mail, the um, free monthly newsletter. That's Atlanta Writers Club. And then the Atlanta Writers Conference is uh, similar but different, atlantawritersconference.com. That's atlantawritersconference.com. And uh, all the information about the, uh, the upcoming conference is there, and spots are filling up. Now, to make it extra convenient for people who are not members but want to be part of the conference and uh, be part of the club, they can... Uh, pay for their membership at the same time they're registering for the conference. So it doesn't have to be a two-step process. Try to make it as easy as, pe- as possible for people to uh, uh, join up and, uh, and start experiencing these, uh, these really tremendous benefits that I didn't have when I was uh, coming up as a, you know, as a writer and joined the organization in, in 2001. These kind of things. We're getting down to the last. Last couple of minutes here, George. I want to. I want to ask you: How often do you, does your club meet? Uh, the club meets uh, once a month, third Saturday of every month in the afternoon, 
and again at okay. the Georgia State University Perimeter College campus. Are those meetings open to the public, or is that strictly for membership? Oh, first first meeting's free uh, to anyone who wants to come okay. and experience it and see if it's right for them. Excellent. Very good. George, this, this has been a pleasure, man. It seems like we're running out of time here. I want to thank you for uh, coming in and getting this new year, this new season of the prologue kicked off just right. Your dedication to writing and to the craft uh, and also mainly to helping others is just very evident, and it's just been a real pleasure having you here today. Can you think of anything that we uh, have left out or failed to cover? Oh, nothing we failed to cover. I'll just uh, uh, repeat. To my website, if I could. Uh, Absolutely. Could my work or me. Uh, it's <laughs> GeorgeWeinstein.com. That's G-E-O-R-G-E-W-E-I-N-S-T-E-I-N.com. And thank you very and much. And folks, we urge. Hey, this has been a pleasure, folks. I urge you to go to that website again, GeorgeWeinstein.com. Learn more about George and his books, and. You'll enjoy them. You really will. This is a man who has taken time to study his craft and learn about it, and uh, you can tell that as you read the stories. So please get in there. For now, I am Doug Dahlgren. I hope everyone out there listening has a great weekend. Be good to yourselves and each other. Read a book, will you? And I'll see you all again in just 167 hours. Take care now. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren, on Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like.